God to grow us not just numerically in number as a church, but also, and could you kill my stage volume for me, but also as a, as a group and as an individual and spiritually, amen? Um, a person who does not desire spiritual growth is not someone who's going to be in church very long, amen? We're talking, um, I realize I wasn't here last week, Diana spoke with you, but I'm back on the topic of discipleship, Amen? I was, I was in the course of this week, I was in prayer, and I was driving around as I usually do to pray. Um, something about driving and praying just does it for me. And um, I was thinking about how, just, you can bring me down just a little bit, Manny. I was thinking about how just to really, to instill the right principles into people as far as the leadership. And I'm going to be doing this new thing with the church and with some of the people who I, I really sense a, a, a emerging call in their life by God. And I was asking God how to really decipher um, somebody who can really, really serve God. And he, sa- he said, it's how you react to situations. And my, my, my next question was, what do, you, what do you mean, Lord, by react? He goes, well, react. And he goes, are you reliable? Are you efficient? Are you accountable? Are you correctable? And are you teachable? If you're not reliable, you can't be efficient. If you're not efficient, you can't be accountable to God. And if you're not correctable, you can never be teachable. You following me? So discipleship, the first principle, we talked weeks ago about what discipleship really is. Uh, One of the first principles to discipleship is the relationship aspect of it. Relationship and mentoring, amen. Um, To be able to be an impactful Christian, remember, um, we're coming from the scripture of Matthew chapter 26 of the Great Commission. And we're talking about how Jesus said, go ye make disciples of all nations. So we now know that God wants every single one of his people to make a disciple out of all nations, amen. So we need to comprehensively understand and say, what can we do now to make a disciple of all nations? The first thing is a relationship. We're called as Christians to build these network of relationships so we can build one another in the faith through friendship and mentoring. God said to them, I want to make you fishers of what? Of men. You should desire to be a person who can interconnect with people like a net so that people, you can build them up as they come into your life. Amen. You should understand that every friendship should be centered in God. Because every friendship that is not centered in God will draw you away from God, will draw you further from God. Amen? Every friendship that you have in your life that that is not beneficial towards your walk with Christ will constantly put you in enmity before God. Anybody remember what enmity means? Enemy of God. So, henceforth, as we spoke about, what, six weeks ago we spoke about your mind, so if you're telling me that if your relationships are pulling you against or away from God, meaning the Bible says we're fighting not against flesh and blood, but the powers of the principalities of this world, amen? So then what becomes of it is that now, what do we say? You become an enemy of the church because now you're living in opposition to the church itself because now you're allowing somebody because you're not being discipled, right, to pull you away from God and you automatically become an enemy of the church, amen? You follow me there? Most people are intimidated by this term called discipleship, and usually it's because of fear or unawareness or just not wanting to be out of their comfort zone. How many of you can openly admit that in your walk with Christ you have a comfort zone? Things you're comfortable with and things you would just will not do. Things that you're just saying, that's just not me. In other words, that really means that I haven't felt in my spirit to go there yet because I'm not seeking God in that sense. You following me? I don't want to lose you today. I felt bad for um, people sitting in the front row on Sunday. I don't know if you guys realize that on Sunday as I was smashing bricks, people in the front row were getting pelted with rocks. 
I just really felt this rock's all right here, and I felt horrible. Our cleaning crew's coming tomorrow, and I just felt so horrible that the Vanessa caught one of the legs. What I really meant to say was this, that that's what sin does in your life. When you sin, it smashes and hits people around you, right? You ever got impacted by somebody else's sin? I was going to leave that alone. I was going to mess with them in the front row. I'm just saying. To have this relationship, you have to understand that the, the, the longer you're a Christian, you should have the uncanny ability to get in touch with somebody else and mentor them as a Christian. How many, everybody, anybody invited ever somebody to church? Invite somebody to church with you and they come with you and then they think that now you're the pastor and they call you for everything? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. You should embrace that. You should embrace that and say, okay, well, obviously they see something in me that, that I should know something because I've been doing this longer than them. I said to somebody who's older than me the other day, I said to three people, I said, well, it's just weird to say this, but um, spiritually speaking, you're my spiritual son and, and you're like 15 years older than me. And they say, I may be 15 years older than you in this natural world, but spiritually, you're a lot older than me. So you're spiritually older than some people in your life, and you have to realize that, that God is looking for you to take some people under your wings. That's really how churches grow, when people in the church embrace the people who walk through those doors. When you see a new face, and you, and you say, okay, I'm going to go talk to that person, and I'm going to link up with them. I'm going to make an emotional connection with them, and we're going to get together, and I'm going to mentor them and help them out, because you know why? Because I care about their spiritual growth. Because Jesus said, go ye make disciples of all nations. Amen? You with me? To have that, really, you better still be there, Yvonne, I swear. Uh, to have that, you have to understand that, um, that friendship, knowledge, and experience combine themselves into, into mentoring. The quality of a relationship are the keys for spiritual growth to have, this, to have this happen. So you have to have this spiritual concept in your life uh, of, of mentoring somebody. You have to have this ability to say, I want to be somebody who you can get in touch with and be blessed just by being around me. Amen? I walked into Walgreens today, and, um, and I was with a minister, Evangelist Ray, back there, and I said, uh, uh, I walked into Walgreens, and I said, hi, Walgreens! And everybody in the front area looked at me like I was crazy. And I was like, hi, Walgreens customers! This is Jesus in me. I'm just fooling around, and, and you know, they're just looking at me like I'm crazy. But people should be impacted by you when you walk around. Yes, that's a little different. I wouldn't tell you to do that. You know, I walked into Walmart one day, and I did the same exact thing. Mind you, there's always people at Walmart. Hi, Walmart! And like 50,000 people just looking at me like I'm crazy. And then one old guy's like, hi. <laughs> just, You're Walmart? <laughs> you know? I, I, but my point is this, is that, is that the joy of the Lord is infectious. You know, this one lady walked up to me, and um. In the, I was in the $2 pizza house, and she said, uh, she heard me talking about God, and she goes, it's, so, it's, just, it's just so great to hear you have that conversation, and I, I thought we said something wrong, until I realized she was talking about the God conversation we were having, but you should impact the people around you just by what you talk about, you know, you know what I'm saying, how you're acting, you know, and, and just what you're doing in general should have an impact, because your relationship with people around you should be something that you're impacting them positively. Um, today is what we call hump day here, and you can understand that this is, we're at the hump of your week, you're right in the middle, about to go down the hill. My question is this, this week, how many people have you impacted for Christ? Have you impacted more people in a good way or in a negative way for God? Have you portrayed in a good way for God, or have you portrayed yourself in a bad way for God? Well, the good news is this, if you've been doing a bad job, you have uh, a few more days to do a good job and to make it a good week. You get what I'm saying? 
So in a relationship aspect, you should be reaching out to the people even in the, in the chair sitting next to you and say, you know what, how are you doing in your spiritual walk? Is there, is there anything? I can, can I pray for you? Can I help you? Uh, uh, can I talk to you? Polly, is there anything? Uh, my new friend Priscilla, is there anything that I can pray with you? Millie, can I help you? Uh, or Alex, is there something that you need God, God's help with that I want to come in agreement with you that I know that you probably wouldn't just come out and tell me yourself so I understand that you might just need for me to reach into your life and say, I'm going to be like a fisherman and I'm going to fish some things out that you need some help with. That, that's positive Christianity that we're saying, I'm going to go into your life because we talked about it. Our churches are so introverted these days that people are just so in love with themselves, worried about their own life, in love with their own self, worried about their own problems. Everything's about me, 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 when the gospel of Christ is about the world. So if the gospel of Christ is about the world, the moment, one of the, one of the main things I've been doing and one of the things that helped me out, how many of you pray? Raise your hand. You can, if you're lying, you can do that too. I mean, whatever. You're in we're all liars anyway half the time. <laughs> Be honest with yourselves. So how many of you pray for yourself on a, on a weekly basis? Raise your hand if you pray for yourself. Stop praying for yourself. Great. The moment you pray for somebody else, things will break through in your life. The moment you stop becoming so self-centered and focused on what God has to do in your life and the diagram you put for your life, he needs to follow, and the blueprint you got for your life, and God, that's what I want here, and that's what I want there, and God, I need this, and God, I need Shut up. Let God talk to you. How many of you know that prayer, prayer is not a monologue? Prayer is a dialogue. You got to give God time to talk to you. Amen? We cannot be so self-centered in our relationship with God that we no longer have a relationship with anybody else. That's, that's the biggest key. That I, 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 did, I did about three studies on discipleship, and relationship is the number one thing each one pointed out, is how do you have relationship with the people around you? People like your job. I love how Lori said it. Lori couldn't have put it no better that we pray for God to give us patience at our job rather than pray for the people at our job. We're going to pray and ask God to help sister, you know, help me not slap so-and-so and say, instead of saying, God, help sister Carmen stop saying stuff to make me want to slap her. It's a different prayer. You get what I'm saying? You following me? And it's all based on the same thing, relationship. If we constantly say that it's about religion, not relationship, what does that mean to you? Randy, if I said to you it's about religion, not relationship, what does that mean to you? What's the motions? <laughs> Shaking hands and kissing babies. EV, religion versus relationship. <clears throat> mm -hmm. What's the difference? Being obedient. If relationship in this aspect we're talking about is building into lives with other people, networking into other people's lives, it's so important. You cannot do this on your own. We said that that Sunday we talked about gladiator, that whatever comes out of those gates, we've got a better chance of survival if we stick together. Somebody say together. So the point becomes that if, you, if you're doing this with the Lone Ranger status, what happens is you are on that sense where you can no longer find sustenance or strength in anything. Amen? I was talking to somebody just earlier today, and I, I was telling them, you know, 
in the sense, and I, I had about six people I talked to today in, in a spiritual counsel manner, and there a lot of them facing the same issues, which is being a pessimistic person and not being able to look at the thing with positivity in their life. You know, I, I, I have a friend of mine too who's facing, you know, severe, severe health issues, and he, he's not complaining. He says, you know, this is another chance for God to show himself awesomely in my life. Or other words, you know, I'm dying and I don't know what to do and this and that. And oh, my God. And God says, and this person says, no, you know what? God's given me another opportunity to work a miracle in my life. You see, religion tells you, it, religion really puts handcuffs on you. Religion, you know, tells you what you cannot do, but it doesn't tell you what you can do. You see, relationship, when you're building a relationship, you got to think about it this way. Although you may still want to go out and do things, you no longer want to, although the other person has not told you not to, you no longer want to because you care about that person so much, you don't want to do anything that would change their perspective of how they see you. So in retrospect, if you love God so much, you're changing the way you're acting, not because he's told you to, but simply because you don't want him to change the perspective he has of you. Did y'all follow that? Did that make sense to you? It's not about, you know, I, I, I've bashed it all the time, and I've bashed it to the day I die. It's not about the whole rules and regulations and disciplina, and you're off the altar, you're off of this. It's not about that. It's about one thing, relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, when you have relationship, you can then disciple people to mentor them. How else will the church grow? How else will a people who come into the church grow if nobody's helping them spiritually and saying, I'm going to take you under my wing and I'm going to help you out? If you realize that a lot of the men say, if you were to say about one person, if anybody were to choose, I want you to don't raise your hand, don't say it out. If you're thinking of a guy besides the pastor or leadership in this church who is a mentor, one guy, anybody have an idea? Put your hand up. If you can think of somebody. Irma. Melvin. How many of you thought of Melvin? Raise your hand. A lot of you. Why? Because Melvin takes the initiative to message you, to tell you he's there for you, to, to pray with people. That's a mentor because he's not so introverted. Melvin is going through hell and high water. He's going through financial issues. He's made it known. He's going through neck injuries where sometimes he has vertigo. He can't even get out of bed for two or three days at a time where he can't do anything. He's going through hell and high water. Has anybody heard about those issues he's facing? No. Why? Because he's chosen to look at God. As bad as the situation may be, he's lost his job. He was making great money. He's one of the best painters I've ever even met in my life. He can't even barely paint sometimes because of the, the pain he's in. The doctor says there's nothing wrong with you, and he's in excruciating pain. But he's not complaining. He's not sitting there. We're, we're, we're with our great lives. We're walking around. We have everything we want and need, and we're not satisfied, and we're not mentoring nobody. You know, I realize something that I get more satisfaction out of doing things for other people than myself. To be honest, the only reason I come to church half the time is because I like preaching. I, I really do. I like teaching. It's fun. I get a kick, and I, I feel encouraged by encouraging you. Is that okay? That's not to be arrogant or pompous or nothing, nothing else, but that's encouraging to me to be able to, to sow into your life, to be able to do something for you. So why can't you turn around and do the favor to somebody else? every week you're looking for people to look into you, to sow into you. But relationship is about you giving something to somebody else. Because if you were in a relationship with a man or a woman where all they did was take, 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 at some point you would get tired. And you would do what? You would break up with them, yes or no? So what's happening with you and God where you're just taking, 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 never giving? But yet God has not dumped you. God has not done nothing. You following me? 
Somebody say relationship. Relationship breaks down the, the first real section of discipleship in the sense of if you're able to attach with people. I didn't even see you there, uncle. God bless you. I'm sorry. I didn't see I won't put you on the spot. Somebody say, God bless you, uncle. <laughs> Everybody loves you here. I don't know why. It's just weird. Bunch of wackos, I swear. Relationship allows you to have a connection with people that will really be able to put you into a sense that, that now, even when you are down, you can get up by attaching to the, to the, basically to the, to the strings of friendship you have with people where they keep on walking and they're going to drag you along one way or the other. Amen? Real friends will not let you. I'm preaching something on Sunday, and I think it's so powerful. I really, 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 really think it's powerful. And I was, I was, I was at a service on Saturday, and, and uh, a man, w- man of God came up to me. He was prophesying over me. He was speaking in Spanish, so I understood about 20% of what he said, which was fine. And um, uh, one of the gentlemen from our church was standing right next to me, and God began to speak to him. And after service, he told me about it, and he was talking about it's, it's on the topic of loyalty to each other, loyalty. How loyal are you to your friends? And he said, he said, you have to realize that even, even though that. Joseph and Nicodemus in the Bible thought Jesus was dead. They were loyal enough to, to take down his body. Even when the situation looked horrible, they were loyal enough to take him to his grave. That's real friendship. Not even realizing they took him to his destiny, not realizing it. But when people around you look like they're dead and down and out, or they let you down, how quickly sometimes we throw them aside. How quickly sometimes we give up on situations, never realizing it. Maybe God's asking you to pull somebody to a destiny. You hearing me? How many of you ever, ever, I mean, for some of you guys, it's applicable. Some of you, it's not. How many of you, for a certain time in your life, stopped going to church? And people gave up on you. How many of you came from other churches? People gave up on you. People stopped. I'll get you because all the people in the back raising their hands. <laughs> and people gave up on you all. And, and, and nobody reached out to you. And people were saying, you know what, okay, this person is that or that person is this. And, and, and instead of, you know, instead of saying, oh, they're, you know, we need to reach out to them. Oh, they're backslidden. I don't know what's going on. Do you know why? Because nobody contacted you because there was no relationship within the ministry to be able to reach out to you and say, okay, we care about you enough to draw you back in. So are you in a position that you need to be drawn in or are you drawing people back in? We're still talking about relationship, amen? The second main topic of of discipleship, because there's three of them, it's it's relationship, mentoring, teaching, and service. And relationship and mentoring are, are put into one category. Teaching the people about God. We are all called as a church to teach one another, not only kids in Sunday school, but also adults and Christians at all ages and all different levels of their walk with Christ, how to live a Christian life. Amen? The new Christian needs to learn how to live a Christian life just as much as the old Christian does. Uh, the old Christians need to be reminded about things in their walk with Christ. Amen? Whereas the new Christians are learning things. Amen? So after you've developed friendships, now you need to teach people in their life, amen? It's not about being a self-servant, you know, a self, a self um, based on yourself, but you should teach them how to live like Christ, amen? You should not, in a sense, be trying to reproduce yourself in them. You should try and reproduce the God that's in you out of them, amen? I, I've used this example so many times, you should know it uh, by heart. Um, anybody help me out with this story? David walked into a cave, and a couple of days later, 300 men and their families. And what does the Bible describe them as? Anybody remember this? No, at first, what do they describe them as? That's the next chapter. They describe them as what? 
vagabonds, bums, ex-cons, people rejected from Saul's army, people who were rejected from society. The very next chapter, the same men are referred to as David's mighty men of valor. So what took place in between those two chapters is that David reproduced the lioness spirit in him, that, that spirit of a warrior that God had placed in him, reproduced it into them and taught them through relationship and mentoring how to be mighty men of valor. You following me? So no matter how bleak somebody's situation around you looks, a true disciple of Christ goes up to them, and no matter how they act or how they look, completely will reproduce a godly spirit into them by showing them what it is to be a Christian. Amen? Showing people how it is to be a Christian does not mean condemning them, telling them they're going to hell, telling them everything they're doing wrong. I rather, and I must prefer to have them hang out with me and see what I do, and they'll begin to ask questions why I don't do this, and then I'll be able to open up a door and tell them as to why I don't do this. But if I go off the rip and I say, I don't have sex, I don't drink, I don't go out clubbing, I don't do this, they're going to be like, oh my God, whoa, throw the brakes on, I don't want nothing to do with this. But before that, if they hang out with you, they see how crazy and fun you are, how funny you can be, and then they begin to ask you questions. And once they ask the question, they open the door, you didn't. And if they open the door, it's a much more receptive thing. I don't mean to put it in such terminology, but it's one of the only ways I can, I can really, really, really put it, to, I'll put it in a, in, a, in, a, in a nice term. We cannot spiritually molest people. You cannot force your spiritual views and opinions on people because you're spiritually molesting them. Does that make sense? I know it's kind of raunchy. I don't mean to break it down that low. I know we have very, uh, you know, some uh, little ones here. I don't want to break it down any lower than that. But we cannot spiritually molest people because just because we want them to see how we see. Want them to believe how we believe. Or think they have to change overnight. Did you change overnight? But then why sometimes do we raise the expectation that somebody's not saved until they do everything you're doing? Mm. You follow me there? Does that make a little bit of sense? Even now, people are judging people who are saying amen and talk about it. As you say amen, as I'm preaching throughout the services, and somebody says amen on Sunday or Wednesday, and be like, well, why are they saying amen? Because this and this and that. Is it not true? Because your view and their view aren't matching up because you think something else should be taking place. Or because you think you know better. You think you saw something, and you're convicted right now. <laughs> it's the truth. You hearing me? If I told you, I am a destroyer of nations, I am a destroyer of men, I've broken down nations and kingdoms alike, I've broken down people, I've broken down families, marriages, relationships, churches, I've broken down anything you can possibly think about, I would destroy anything in my path, at the mention of my name, nations tremble, what do you think I am? Huh? Carmen, help me out here. The devil? Give me something more general. Gossip? Gossip? Do you know how much gossip breaks up relationships? How many of you lost friends over gossip? Help me out here. A lot of y'all. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. When you, when you speak on things and, and you begin to open your mouth, we talk about gossip so much in the church, and it's almost like we should make gossip extinct in the church. Why is it that we let it happen time and time and time and time again? Well, that person just gave me a bad vibe. I've said that a thousand times. If that's not your spirit, 
That's not God. Amen? You following me? That person just looks stank, or that person just looks this, that person looks that. I, we, can't, we need to embrace people with the love of Christ the way he embraces us. Because when we embrace people the way he embraces us, nothing can really stop us from really being great discipling Christians in Christ. Believing God and saying, you know, God, we're changing the world step by step. Why? Because we want to make people believe in the exact same thing that you believe in. Amen? One of the greatest ways to teach somebody. Anybody know what's the best way to teach somebody? Example. It's not what I tell you. It's what you see me doing. It's got nothing to do with how you see me saying I live my life, but rather seeing me live my life. Because I can tell you I'm saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost, and be living like I'm just going to hell. You get what I'm saying? So the best, one of the best ways still speaking on discipleship is to build a relationship and to teach them, not by your word, but by your actions and your deeds, and saying, I'm, this is how I'm living my life, and, and, and this is what I'm doing, and you should just you know, co- you know, embrace it in that sense. You following me? Not by forcing it down your throat, not by any means of that nature, but by saying, merely, here I am. This is what I'm about, and you can take it or leave it. It's, it, it, it's not just face value. This is really how we are, amen? As we grow as Christians, and we need to show them how to grow as Christians, um, um, how to find God's will in their life, how to conduct themselves, and discovering their spiritual gifts, uh, their uh, leadership potential, and, you know, into a deep expression of their faith, and, and you want to help people explore what faith is about, that's discipleship, by building a relationship, and then begin to teach them about God, amen? Number three is service. Uh, we're all called to put our faith into practice. The Bible says faith without action is what? We, we now take the relationships and the mentoring and the teaching we're doing and carry it out in the daily life. This is often expressed as the service or um, pro- projection of a mission. Amen? Now, if you did not know, in the Bible, when it speaks of the word worship, does anybody know what that means, worship, in the Hebraic context that it's in the Bible. Somebody help me out here. It means merely to serve. It's got nothing to do with great music and songs. It's got nothing to do with anything about, about worship as we see it today with instruments, music, songs, and everything else. The Bible says, sometimes says and they worship there, meaning that they served in that church or in that temple, or they served in that sense, or they served God in a way that he needed them at that time, whether it's serving them by vacuuming or serving by, by cleaning their bathrooms back then or serving, serving, serving. Worship in the Bible has no connotation to songs and or music. That's praise. But worship in its original Hebraic and Aramaic text, even in the Babylonian Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, it tells you one thing. Worship is to serve God in a fashion that means to put work into action. Those who worship God must worship him in spirit and in truth, meaning not those that worship him and sing songs, but those that work in the church, work for God, work towards God, should work for him in spirit and in truth and be able to serve him. To worship God literally means just to serve God. I'm serving God right now. I'm worshiping him. I don't have to have hill songs on. I don't have to have my favorite gospel song on. I don't have to have my favorite music on or or nothing. No, to serve God is to worship God. 
Amen? Now, I said many, many uh, months ago, maybe two years ago, matter of fact, I asked you guys a question. If praise and worship was your clothes, or rather, rather, if worship was your clothes, how would you wear it? So if worship, meaning to serve God, was your clothes, your covering before God, how would you wear it? When you wear your clothes, what do you do? You what? Iron them. What about it? What else? Help me out. Come on. You wash them. Why do you wash them? Because you want it to be clean. Great job, Alexis. I heard you there. Anybody else? Come on, help me out. Would you go to the store and buy 50 pairs of the same jeans and the same shirts? Why? It's what? I heard another word. You want a variety. Wow, this is, we're getting somewhere with this. What else? Help me out here. Colors? How about colors? You don't want, I told you about that. Now we buy our jeans faded, ripped, wrinkled, and everything else. You guys, what I'm trying to get at is this. To worship God means to serve God. So if worship was your clothes, in the sense, because we put so much importance in our clothes. We really do. We want to, I don't know. I've been a lot better lately, Megan. But a lot of times when I wake up in the morning, I have to feel what I'm wearing. And me and Manny used to hang out a lot when he was um, back a couple months ago. And like we would hang out every day. He'd come to my house, and he'd be sitting waiting for me. And i put one outfit on. I'm ready to go. Keys in my hand. Like, I don't like this outfit. I go back and change. Seven outfits later, and he's dragging me out the door. And I'm like, I don't like this outfit. He's like, I don't care. It was fine from outfit number one. And where we were going? To get a tea. Or to go to the church and pray or to go to the church and do something here. We weren't going nowhere special, but we put so much importance on what we wear. And some of y'all who don't, you need to. <laughs> Woo, God knows y'all need to. Your presentation is everything. Amen? So my point is this. If you want to put so much importance on how your clothes cover you, why can't we put that much importance on how we serve God? We shouldn't want to serve God in the same old way every time. We should want to have different colors and different varieties and to serve God throughout, not just through our song, but through our prayer. Not just through our prayer, but our servitude to the church or our servitude to our friends and to reach out to somebody and to pray for somebody and to evangelize and to go out and do stuff for the ministry and to help build. That's serving God. You not doing more for God in the sense of serving God in the sense of kingdom and towards others is you wanting to wear the same outfit every day and think nothing of it. Does that make sense? To worship simply means to serve God. To be a disciple means to have a relationship with people and in a fashion that you are able to teach them, they'll receive from you, and once they receive from you, they'll be able to give service to God. Does that make sense? So Jesus said, go ye and make disciples of what nation? It is God's desire, contrary to common belief, it is God's desire to have a multicultural church. There's such an importance behind having a multicultural church, to having Hispanics, to having blacks, to having whites, to having Asians, Europeans. There's such an importance to it because every different race and every different nationality brings a different thing that they can offer that God has blessed that people with. Amen? You've got to understand that when you're talking about Jewish people, what's the first thing that comes to mind besides the Holocaust? Talk about Jewish people. They're cheap. But why are they cheap? Because they have money. They're smart with their money. You better pray to God that he sends us some Jewish people. 
What's the, what's the number one thing we know about the Australians that we always talk about? Besides the fact that they're hot, Yvonne. Could you help us out besides being hot? They have Hillsong, which is what? Music. We know Europeans know how to worship God. We know that for a fact. I, I think Europeans have the best sense of worship than anybody else. And even though Australians are completely their own thing, they, I think European churches, there's a lot of churches in England, abundant life at different churches, they know how to worship God like nobody's business. Talk about black churches, they know how to praise God like ain't nobody's business. You talk about Hispanic churches and we have penil. And chuletas and... No, but we have family. Hospitality. We have, so, you know, I don't know about you, but, but um, even when you're mad at your family, they're still important to you. That's how it should be. You have to understand that. That we have, we have a sense of hospitality. Uh, you go to Puerto Rico, you go to anybody's house, they're trying to feed you everywhere you go. You gotta come out? No. I just, and you can't say no. And I, go, I went with Carmen, and to every person's house we went to, or to Uncle Joe, we couldn't eat all day because we knew he was going to feed us. And so there's all this stuff. You're passing all these carts of these beautiful empanadas, you know, pastelillos, and all this stuff, and de papa, y todo eso, tú sabes. And Carmen's like, no, no. Uncle Joe's going to cook for us. I'm like, oh, God. And he cooks, and then he puts you plate. You almost don't want to finish what you're eating. He's going to give you another plate. Because they're hospitable. That's how they are. Spanish people love to cook. I'm just, I don't know about you. And we love to eat too. You know? But my point is this. Every different genre, or every different race rather, has something to bring to the table. I said it before, the American church has vision and structure. They have structure to their churches. The one thing I learned from my uncle and from the church he previously attended with um, Pastor John Moratori, one of the best churches I've ever been to. It's structured. It's organized. It, and people go into that church, and you know that, that that church understands how to get things done. They understand how to not waste time in a service. There's no such thing as wasted time in a service. You shouldn't have to have a six-hour service for God to move. If he can't move in an hour and a half, two hours, then you need to go home. You're going to sit there and force God to come in. Please come in. And they're sitting there singing the same song for three hours, begging God to come in. You following me? The American church has vision and structure behind them. You put that all together, and you have a threat to the enemy. But you individualize it, and you have a church that knows how to praise but can't worship. A church that can worship but is not hospitable because they won't say hi to you when you walk in. A church that is very hospitable but has no structure to have a seven-hour service because people don't know how to be on time. You following me? You have to get it all in one nutshell. That's what I'm trying to do. We're trying to get it to the point where we're, we're, we're having a structure. We're having a very organized. A, a, a minister, Ray, came into our church, and the first time he visited, he said it was so, so structured. It was so like on point. There was, there was so much order in the church. One day, my, my mic muff fell just like that, and it was during worship, and the lights were off, and I don't know how Rose saw it from behind the piano, because she can't even read her Bible, and she was in the back, and Rose comes running up to the front, picks my little mic muff up, my, my, um, my, my mic muff, and puts it on, and that was the day that Ray happened to be there. He's there's so much order in your church, and they saw that from the back, something so simple, but just get, being greeted. At a church. I don't know if you remember, there was, years ago we had no ushers, had no greeters. 
Ray said they greeted him in the parking lot before you even came in. Three times you, you were greeted three times in the parking lot before you got in. See that? Having structure in your church has a different. It <laughs> structure in church makes you love the place you're going to. It makes you feel wanted. It makes you feel embraced. It makes you feel loved. Put your hands together for your church. You have a pretty awesome church. Yep, when the parking lot gets tight, the, the, the Paulie and Daniel will park cars. You know, they won't just sit there and say, uh, put it on the street and walk five miles up this way. Because you want to take care of the people that walk in. You know what? Every person that walks through those doors is a gift. And if it's just for a day or for a lifetime, they'll be with us. It's our job for that day to make them feel loved and welcome. Following me? To make them feel like they're a part of something. They're embraced. From the smallest things to the greatest things, you can impact people. Amen? It starts with discipleship in a sense of having a relationship with people. Relationship in a sense can mean a relationship with your church as a whole, your responsibility here as a person. You're responsible in a sense to come and, and, and just be a part of something. I know I, we have Daniel as our lead usher. We have Paulie. We have Carlos. Um, we have Jim. And they do a great, great job. And and those are the core guys with the ushering staff, and they'll move around, and they're the ones getting tissues or getting water or getting whatever. And you have to understand that, that they have a job, amen? They have a job that they should have caught that kid at the back door and not let him run up to the front. <laughs> you're fired. But you're all right, man. I'm just playing. You couldn't hold that girl if you wanted to. She's going to get whatever she wants. She is no joke. But you have to understand that there's a relationship in every aspect of what you're doing with your church. That you should feel like you can go to people. You should feel like I can plug in with Heather and, and I, can, I can get spiritually encouraged by them. I'm not telling you to open up your whole life to them because sometimes you just can't do that. I understand that. But to just make a friend and say, hey, I love you. To say hi. How many of you from our GVA, you know, regulars, every time you see a visitor, you say hi. Raise your hand if that's you. Every visitor you see. How many of you ever stopped saying hi to people because they looked stank or looked different or looked wrong or didn't approach somebody because of that? Come on, be honest. I've been there before, not in this church. Those are the ones you like to say hi to? Well, if it's a girl you're talking about because you're trying to be some kind of macho man and do something that you thought you couldn't do. <laughs> yes. Testify. Somebody say testify, Ray. He called me. <laughs> you want to hear something funny? Not funny, but it's amusing and sad. Bishop Thompson will probably send somebody to our church before he sends them to his church. I know that because I've seen him do it. <laughs> and he told me, I'd rather you go to his church than my church. Pastor Ross 
always tells people about our church. He never, ever, once, ever, once would tell people about his church. The reason why is because our church is for everybody, whereas other churches are for some people. Our church is the everybody's church. It's anybody's church. You follow me there? You have to understand that people, who, when you have other pastors, I've had pastors call me and tell me if I wasn't in my church over here, I'd definitely be in your church as a regular just member. Because there's something different here. And we have to understand how not to just to embrace it and just to fall in love with it, but then to how can we can strengthen it and expand it. Amen? Never be satisfied with what you have because there's always more lying ahead. Amen? Do you believe that God has something more for you? I believe that. And every day of my life, I believe that no matter how hard it gets, how many know it gets hard? Raise your hand. Come on, does it get hard? I mean, we have to be really honest sometimes and say, life sucks. Thank you. But thank you. Say it again. She said, yes, it does. How many of you know life sucks? You know, I never understood. And I talked to four people this week about this. And it's only Wednesday. And I'll, be, I'll close with this. You know, I'm tired of, can I talk to you? Because you seem, you seem like you are listening to me. Some of these people might not. They might get used to my voice. I'm tired of people saying, if God never did another thing for me, he's done enough. But then the moment he don't do nothing else, they get mad. Does that make any sense? We sit in church, God, if you never do another thing for me, he's done enough. I love you, Papa. Dios. And then we take, and when God doesn't do something for us, it's the end of the world. You following me? I'm going to leave it at that. We're going to continue with discipleship next week. I want to get you out of here in a timely fashion. Stand to your feet, church. <laughs> they greet you at the bathroom, right? <laughs> they cleaned your hands for you. <laughs> there was a guy holding the paper for you. <laughs> did you did you tip him? <laughs> Somebody say amen. <laughs> a disciple is someone who models, teaches, models and teaches the Christian concept of the Bible. Amen. Someone who's a person of prayer. Someone who understands the doctrine of their church. Someone who can actually mold somebody else in the church without thinking you're so high and mighty. And just, just being a mentor to somebody without thinking that you're their spiritual parent. That's a disciple. Amen? Grab somebody's hand next to you. Let's say a prayer as we uh, go. And don't forget this Friday night. Um, every night is teen night now on Friday nights. I mean, we had a fantastic turnout. Danny did a great job Friday night. Uh, the kids were screaming. They were, they were huh? What? What's taco fixings? Oh. <coughs> Absolutely. Let's. <laughs> Only Carlos. Uh, definitely come support. I mean, you don't have to stay after for the function, but come support the service. I mean, we had a great time Friday, and um, uh, we're going to have a great time furthermore. I, th I believe Diana is going to do a great job with that. I'm just really excited. They were here kind of late screaming and crazy and just, oh, my, all types of foolishness. But I thank God. For, I thank God that, number one, the kids came. 
Number two, they had a great time. And number three, they saw that Christianity doesn't have to be boring. Amen? Come on, bow your heads right now. Dear Heavenly Father, we come into your presence. Lord, we thank you for just an awesome time in your presence. We thank you, Father God, that you're continuing to speak to us, continuing to elaborate upon your word, Father. We ask you now, God, that you would um, just continue, God, to speak to us, continue to work through us, God, as we go forth through our week, God, that you would give us strength even tonight and tomorrow, God, that you would give us strength in our everyday walk, God, that we can do this, God, we can make it, God. Help us to be disciples of your nation, God, disciple of your people, God, disciple of your Christianity, God, that we can be the right people, God, that you are calling us to be, God, that we can lift up other people, God, we can teach them the right way and be able to grow our church for your glory, God, not for our own, Father God. We thank you, Father God, for the continuing things you're doing, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.